Now then, at 8.07, exactly, from frozen falls at Niagara to frozen iguanas falling from trees in Florida. Bizarre weather in the US lately. It's been a sci-fi vision of the future almost. Professor Jonathan Martin from the Department of Atmospheric and Oceanic Sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Madison now joins us to talk about what's been described as a bomb cyclone. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Yes, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, and Florida seems to be the one that's drawn most attention, seen as, as a yeah. getaway destination for, for many people. Is it, um, is it totally bizarre what's happening there? It's uh, not unprecedented, but it is rare. I think to get snow in uh, the Tallahassee area and uh, Jacksonville area in the coast of South and North Carolina, it's probably a once every 10, when you get further south, maybe once every 20-year event. So... Not unprecedented, but absolutely noteworthy and downright weird. Yeah, no doubt about that. Where you are now, you're in a very different part of the country, but has it been unusually yeah. cold there? Not unusually cold in terms of the depth of, the, of the, the minimum temperature, but the length of this cold spell was, I think, unusual. I haven't verified that against actual prior observations, but it wouldn't surprise me that the cold spell, which is finally lifted in the central plains of North America now, in the eastern part of North America as well. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a little bit longer than the, than the average or even maybe a little double the average of a regular cold spell in the wintertime. So it had unusual characteristics for sure. And what is a bomb cyclone? Is, it, is all this down to a bomb cyclone or has that been just certain parts of the country? Yeah, that, the, the cyclone, the bomb cyclone part of this whole cold wave was really kind of at the end of the cold wave. We were already in the deep freeze, large parts of the country were, before that cyclone. Uh, developed. And the whole idea of a bomb cyclone, or the whole coining of the word, is to in- indicate that there's explosive development. And development for a cyclone means that the minimum sea level pressure at the center of the storm, around which the winds are blowing counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere, that central pressure drops with time very, very rapidly in one of these explosively deepening storms. And that is an unusual, um, at an unusually fast rate, I should say. Um, these are not uncommon storms. There might be as many as 20 to 40 of them around the whole northern hemisphere that do, in fact, deepen at that really explosive rate during a given winter. This one drew a lot of attention uh, for a number of reasons, probably primarily because it affected the whole eastern coast of the United States and parts of maritime Canada. They're heavily populated areas, and so the combination of heavy snow and pretty unusual cold was, was noteworthy. How interrelated are are terms like lake effect snow, bomb cyclone, Arctic vortex, La Nina, uh, that are often drawn on by journalists when describing unusually cold spells? Yeah, that's a good question. All four of the terms you just mentioned are just about as independent as four different people could be. So they're, they're really not interrelated in any significant way. The polar vortex is a word that's been used in our science for a very long time, well over half a century, and it actually describes uh, the circumpolar flow uh, in the wintertime at very high altitudes, as high as 20 or 30 miles above the ground. And it's been recently appropriated to describe the really cold air that comes down over continental North America and Western Europe sometimes, too. And, um, and then La Nina is a tropical uh, Pacific Ocean uh, variability signal. It's when the eastern part of the tropical Pacific is cooler than normal, and that's kind of one of the signals we have this winter, as it turns out. And then I forget now what the other ones were. Lake effects, no. 
Oh, lake effect snow. That's that was very common in this cold spell, even before the big storm, because very very cold air coming off of high latitudes in Canada, here in North America, was funneling over uh, the Great Lakes, which are not yet ice covered, and so there's a tremendous amount of evaporation of water off the lakes, and that evaporated water immediately turns into snow downstream, and there's very heavy snow in places like Cleveland, Erie, Pennsylvania, and so on. This is not uncommon in, uh, in the northern part of Japan. They get a tremendous amount of similar type generated snow. Uh, Sapporo gets a lot of that when there's very cold air coming off the continent. In fact, some of it coming off the Korean Peninsula in the wintertime. Right. Uh, and, and then it can affect very specific areas geographically. You can have snow falling. Extremely in- specific. Yeah. That's quite... Yeah, in fact, there are neighborhoods in Cleveland that can get a foot of snow in an afternoon and really, literally, 10 blocks away, they might get an inch. So it can be that specific geographically. And that looks bizarre, but it's an explainable phenomenon, as you've just pointed out. But this does come amid a general level of interest in the weather that has been sparked, of course, by concern about climate change. We've seen extreme hurricanes in the Mid-South, extreme dry weather, brush fire in the Southwest, extreme winter conditions in the Northeast. Right now, I've also seen on on the news um, mudslides in California causing a lot of concern mm-hmm. uh, after all that right. drought. Does that build up a picture in your mind of, of a worsening of, of extremities? Or is there a certain level of, of, of just interest driving that conversation? It's a great question. I think it's, at, at worst, it's a combination. At best, it's interest. There, there, there may well be some very large-scale, and I mean global-scale, sort of climate signals that manifest themselves in some of these very extreme events that we've, that we've witnessed in the last couple of months. It could well be the case. Whether or not it is certainly the case is far from, from determined yet. And so I think that as a scientist, we, I try to be prudent, and, and ironically, it's going to sound funny, scientists are among the most conservative uh, people in terms of accepting ideas. If somebody suggests that, uh, that they, the horrific California wildfires are a direct consequence of climate change, the hair on my back stands up and I'm ready for a fight. I say, no, 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 no hold on. There's plenty of circumstances that could also have produced these and led to those fires. So that's that's the position I take. That's my natural posture, and I think my colleagues adopt. And then on top of it, the actual, you know, scratching your head, uh, working at your desk science to try and make a link has just not gotten us very far down that path quite yet. So it's, it's probably a lack of understanding, but it may also be a lack of an actual signal. It's going to be hard to pull climate change out of individual weather and natural uh, uh, disaster events like the ones we've recently uh, born. I guess with many of the climate change forecasts, including extreme weather patterns, a lot of us will naturally jump to that conclusion. Um, and in I, the meantime, we understand right. your position as a scientist to, to, to track these things and, and to need to be conservative. Professor Martin, thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Professor Jonathan Martin from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And according to the Korea Meteorological Administration, Arctic cold wind blowing down onto this peninsula is likely to pull down the temperature further this week. And so no matter how cold you think it is this morning, you can brace yourself for even more of the same. Dr. Kim Sung-jung is a leading researcher for the Division of Polar Climate Sciences at the Korea Polar Research Institute. And... um, 
Actually, you spoke with us as a station leader of the overwintering team at the King's Hedgehog Station in Antarctica, you may recall, about a year ago. It's a pleasure to have you back with us on the line, Dr. Kim. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we've heard several times already this winter that it's colder in Seoul than Moscow. Um, why are we seeing a particularly cold winter this year in Korea? I think it's uh, uh, related to some of the uh, Arctic warming. Uh, it's really contrasting because the Arctic warming gives some colder weather over Korea. That's a little bit uh, uh, contrast. But uh, the, the thing is, if there is less sea ice in the Arctic, uh, especially the Karabalans area, we tend to have a colder weather uh, in East Asia, including Korea. From last autumn, uh, uh, look at the uh, CIS, uh, weather, uh, CIS uh, satellite uh, map. It uh, looks like in the Karabaraj area, CIS has been uh, less than a uh, normal year. Uh, if the CIS is less than a uh, normal year in that area, that gives some uh, reach over the so-called uh, rural mountain, and that strengthens the, uh, the pre-existing Siberian high pressure. So if the high, Siberian high pressure is stronger than normal, we naturally uh, have the uh, colder weather over Korea. I think this is, uh, that's why I, I think uh, this, uh, this winter, the Korea cold weather seems to be in part uh, related to the uh, climate change. That's an idea you're putting forward quite confidently compared with our previous guest, um, Professor Martin, who was reluctant to pin uh, some of the developments in the United States down to climate change at this point. But we've also heard, Dr. Kim, about uh, jet stream and the Arctic vortex this winter. Uh, just talked a little bit about that as well. Can you talk about how those relate to us? Uh, actually, when there is Arctic warming, uh, uh, the jet uh, or pol- uh, polar vortex is more uh, wavier. Uh, the thing is, uh, the Arctic vortex is initiated by Earth's rotation uh, naturally, but it undulates from north to south by some uh, many conditions at the surface or in the middle of atmosphere. So if the uh, jet stream is uh, wavier than normal, then some area experience very cold weather, um, uh, some other area experience very sultry weather. So I think to me, uh, the uh, Arctic warming seems to give some more waviness of this uh, Arctic vortex that might uh, influence some uh, recent uh, cold weather over East Asia and also uh, Eastern and North America. Are we also affected by La Nina? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, actually, the waviness of the Arctic vortex uh, seems to be also somewhat related to the, uh, 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 the feature in the uh, uh, Pacific, uh, equatorial Pacific, El Niño, La Niña condition. But the relation between the vortex and the La Niña or El Niño is not uh, clearly uh, dis- discovered yet. It's a kind of a, under very strong investigation. And despite the drop in temperature, despite some of these phenomena that we've been describing, unlike the United States, we've not seen a huge amount of snow here. I mean, we had a sprinkling of snow overnight, and, you know, that was very noticeable on the road this morning, but it uh, has been melting away pretty easily as well under the influence of 
of cars and so on, and and it's not exactly been difficult for um, locals to to deal with. Um, why are we having a, a relatively dry winter here compared with all that snow elsewhere? Uh, it's not easy to speculate uh, the precipitation uh, than uh, temperature, but uh, to me, the cold weather of Korea is mainly driven by very strong, uh, high, very high pressure system. So when we have a high pressure, we tend to have a uh, drier weather. Uh, but if the wind blows from uh, the China through the West Sea, uh, the, the Yellow Sea uh, uh, near Korea, then we tend to have some snow over southern part of Korea, like Gwangju, uh, uh, Jeonju area. But if the wind blow from the directly from the north through the uh, North Korea to the South Korea, then to me we tend to have very drier weather. But uh, it, that's what I think. But uh, I, I'm not quite sure why we have a drier weather, even though we are very uh, cold weather. Right, Dr. Kim. I mean, we were just also hearing from your. Um counterpart our previous guest about how cold weather blows over us and and actually influences uh, snow in japan which we know is famous for its winter sports we can only hope that conditions are right when the winter olympics comes around here next month because last year it was relatively mild um, and we certainly don't want mild conditions during the olympics here but your interest also stretches to the, the poles, doesn't it? Can you just finish with um, your view of, of the state of the climate in the polar regions? Okay. Actually, I've been in the uh, King Zedong station for the past, uh, past year and then served as a station leader over there. And then I experienced very uh, rapid uh, 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 warming uh, going on in that region. The thing is, since the polar region is covered by snow and ice, that has very high reflectivity to the uh, short-wave radiation. So once, that's why they are very vulnerable to the fast warming by so-called positive climate feedback. That is, once an, an area in polar region is melted away, uh, more short-wave radiation observed, and that gives more melting, and so on and so on and so on. This is uh, so-called uh, uh, positive feedback. Through this process, uh, the Arctic region and also West Antarctica, uh, uh, including the area where I stayed, the King Station Station, experience very, very uh, rapid warming right now. Uh, so uh, that gives some uh, sea ice declining, as uh, also shown in the larger media, and also continental ice melting and also ice age diminishing. That might give some uh, long-term uh, sea level rise. But it's really a long-term story, though. The bottom line is uh, the, the polar region, <coughs> climate change or uh, global warming is happening uh, very quickly compared to other areas. Dr. Kim, thank you very much for sharing your feedback on that. Thanks a lot. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye for now. Dr. Kim Sung-Jung from the Polar Polar, uh, Korea Polar Research Institute, which is actually known as COPRI.